Good morning, everybody. All right, so we are going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 16. And when Dad left off, um, we had just looked at this uh, famous passage where uh, Jesus asked his disciples as, as they're ascended, uh, or, uh, assembled there, rather, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Uh, this is back in verse 13. And, of course, um, they toss out some guesses, of, or not guesses, but some statements of what they've heard the crowd you know, say. And uh, then, then he, he asked the, the more pointed question, who do you say that I am? And then, of course, we have Peter's declaration, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If, you, if we zoom out from um, this section um, that we're going to look at today, uh, we can see it uh, just as a, one way to maybe organize your thinking is to look at it as the middle of three parts. The first part is, is this nugget that I just read. You know, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the first element uh, of this passage is, uh, who is Jesus? Um, who is he? Uh, because that's essential to know who Jesus is. The second section that we'll look at today is basically the so what? Okay, who is Jesus? Okay, now what do we do with that? And so we're going to see elements uh, in these verses about uh, not only just salvation, but a huge chunk of uh, discipleship. What, it, what does it mean to really be a follower of Christ? Okay, you know who he is. Now what do you do about it? And then we're going to uh, get just a glimpse toward the latter verses uh, and then on into uh, next week as to uh, the future. Uh, what is the future with God going to look like? So uh, just, um, uh, this is a, if you look at it that way, this particular passage in, in Matthew, Matthew 16, uh, I think most people have recognized it's a fairly pivotal passage for the, the book, but here in this one section, uh, you have a reasonably good summary, or at least some, um, some comments about the whole scope of who Christ is, um, what do we do with that knowledge of who he is, and then uh, what does this mean for our future. So just kind of have that little filter in the back of your mind as we go through. So um, after this de declaration, for, for some reason, um, verse 20, it says, okay, don't tell nobody. At least don't tell anyone yet. That advice is going to change, of course. But verse 21 uh, is one of these summary statements that we sometimes see in Matthew where um, he says, all right, so this, there's a lot of stuff that was happening. Uh, here it is in a nutshell. And some passages we've seen, uh, he went around the area of healing and teaching. And, and here it says, verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day to be raised. So that's pretty much how to be saved, right? Uh, Romans 10, 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, so that's what 
Peter told us about Jesus. Uh, he said, uh, you know, that he was the Messiah, that he was Lord. It says uh, back in Romans, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So here we have this critical teaching in verse 21 that yes, he would suffer, yes, he would be killed, but then on the third day, he would be raised. And that, of course, is, that's, that's why we have Easter. That's, that is the essence of Christianity that unlike most, well, not most, but unlike every other religion where death means death, here, death was just part of the story that was going to culminate in the resurrection. So, uh, then, of course, Peter uh, gets uh, his usual nose out of joint and uh, says, oh, Lord, you know, please say it ain't so. Um, paraphrasing, of course. Uh, but that brings us to our focal passage down to verse 24. And these... Um, these verses are not necessarily pleasant verses, uh, and they'll be very familiar to you, which makes it, um, you know, all the more uh, difficult sometimes when you're teaching because uh, this is ground that has been uh, tilled by, uh, you know, uh, amazing teachers and preachers in the past. But uh, it's it's always worth looking at. So, verse twenty-four. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will, save his life, will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Um, so yeah, that's just, just nice, um, nice uh, quick comments there that... Um, let's just say you don't see that a lot on a t-shirt, right? It's not necessarily superficially uplifting. That seems like there's a lot going on here. So someone who's going to take the Christian walk seriously has to really grapple with what these verses mean. So let's break this verse 24 down into these three main sections because there's the question, if anyone's going to come after me, right? So uh, if here's what you're getting into right that's that's what he's telling people you know he's just revealed the disciples have been changing from those who were kind of called to come along and check me out sort of thing right so they've been they were curious interested for whatever reason they were enough attracted to the message of Jesus that They've been following him along until now, and they were firsthand witnesses to all these miracles that we've been talking about, the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 and, you know, numerous healings and, you know, all this sort of stuff. So they've been, they've been you know, up front with this. But now he, it's like he's calling them to take a little further step. If you're going to come after me, if you're going to follow me, remember the concept of the rabbi was that you would, if you were going to follow a rabbi, you would align yourself with that teacher and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow him. And I would assume that the, the, the assumption was that one day 
you will be so like the master rabbi that when that rabbi passes, as all other rabbis did, then you would have your own people following you. So the commitment to follow this rabbi was no small thing, was certainly outside the normal career path for those that had been fishermen and the various occupations. None of them had probably aspired to be a rabbi prior to that, but probably that's kind of where they thought they were heading at the point, but, but then they find out, hey, this is gonna take a turn in Jerusalem. Um, I'm gonna die. Uh, and I'm going to be raised up, they still probably weren't sure what that was going to look like or what it was going to, what the import of that is. But anyway, he's saying, uh, if you're going to come after me, um, let me tell you what it's going to be like. Let me tell you what I'm asking of you. Three things. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So what does it mean to deny yourself? All right, so this is going to be audience participation. When you see that word, let him deny himself. Be honest. What What do you think that means? Put someone else first. All right. Put someone else first. So, uh, don't sin even if what you want to do is sin. In other words, change what your change your plan, change your behavior. All right. What else? All right, what would Jesus do? Does that sound fun? When you hear deny yourself, does everyone inwardly say, yes? (laughs) That's what I'm looking for. No, right? I mean, we we pretty much want to do what we want to do. This self-denial is the opposite of that, right? It's, it's saying deny yourself. Now, does this mean leave your family, leave your job, join a monastery, take a vow of poverty? Um, does that, is that what it means? Well, perhaps there have been people who called to those things. I'm not making light of that, but... But no, I, that's not what it means because First Timothy says God's given us richly all things to enjoy. So we can still enjoy life, right? God's a good daddy. He wants us to do things that are enjoyable, but he's saying deny yourself. So as you guys have already alluded to, this means starting to swap out my own inclinations for those of Christ. Um, One commentator made the point that this is like going back to the Beatitudes. He says, this involves a denial of the values, the attitudes, and the emotions that Jesus spoke in the Beatitudes. For example, bitterness is in the old self. You should deny that. When when Christ speaks to us when we are bitter, uh, we're supposed to let forgiveness wash away our anger. Whereas we want to nurse that bitterness. We want to get even maybe a little bit. We, we start to plan our payback mm-hmm. when someone hurts us. No. Christ said no. That you, you need to deny that. That's, you need to set aside what that 
natural inclination because my way I'm calling to you is I'm calling you to a life of grace and forgiveness and you know forgive others as you would be forgiven that's the path that he's calling you on right so this denial of self is basically that lifelong path that we're all on where where we are aligning ourselves with what the will of God is now I'm not talking about like some people talk about what you know the will of God of you know God show me what I'm supposed to do today he may well do that but this is aligning ourselves for, for most of us in, in most of life, knowing and doing God's will is basically taking what we can know, what has already been revealed, in other words, Scripture, and lining ourselves up against that. And if, if God has put something in Scripture and a part of our life is, is not aligned in that, well, then when those situations come up, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Uh, when the in the New Testament it talks about you know taming the tongue or working hard or um, telling the gospel you know uh, if you're not inclined to to line yourself up that's what it's this is about so denying yourself is is just swapping out um, your plan for God's plan and the good news is it's going to be a better plan, right? Uh, it's going to be a better plan because that's, that's, we were made to be in that type of communion. So that flows into this next thing, take up his cross. So what does it mean when it says, let him deny himself and take up his cross? What does that mean? That sounds equally fun, right? <clears throat> what does that mean? Well, the cross, of course, was... I mean, everybody knew the cross. Everybody knew the cross. Um, as uh, was written, in the Roman Empire, a convicted criminal, when taken to be crucified, was forced to carry his own cross... This showed publicly that he was then under and submissive to the rule that he had been opposing. It was an admission of guilt. It was a public testimony as that you were receiving capital punishment. Um, you know, let everyone deny himself and sit in the electric chair. and deny yourself and sign up for lethal injection. See, we, we've kind of cleaned up the cross, right? I, have, I wear one. I've, I think with few exceptions, I've probably worn it every day for 40 years. Do I think about it every day? No. But it's, it's jewelry, right? It's, you know, we... We kind of clean that, clean that up a little bit. Um, what does it mean to take up his cross? Now, I made myself a little note here. Okay, which is it? Because I came across a couple different angles as to what it means to take up your cross. Um, 
one commentator taking what I would presume to be the traditional approach says to take up a cross does not mean to carry burdens or to have problems. I once met a lady who told me her asthma was the cross she had to bear. He says to take up the cross means to identify with Christ in his, reje in his rejection, shame, suffering, and death. With a slightly different take, another commentator said, it is significant that Jesus did not ask us to take up his cross. Instead, Jesus teaches us to be willing to take up our crosses. And he says, what our crosses symbolize is our willingness to make daily choices of God's will for us, whatever they, that will may prove to be. Which is it? It may be, maybe the answer is both. Maybe the answer is somewhere in the middle. But um, at the very least, I think we can all agree with deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. No doubt when Jesus was teaching to show his disciples that he was, must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, and be killed, and on the third day be raised, it probably came up, how are they going to kill you? So when it says, take up his cross and follow me, you have to think that there was at least some element where Jesus was going to say, you know, um, this may not all go well for you, because you're going to follow me. And you may be setting yourself up. The more closely you align yourself with me, the more closely you're going to get the rejection, the persecution, the attacks, just like I have. And we know that turned out to be the case for many of them. Um, does it mean that we are all going to be executed for our faith? Well, I think that's unlikely. So perhaps from an application standpoint, it is a little bit more like that second um, take, our willingness to make those daily choices of God's will for us. And ultimately, that's what it was for the disciples as well. Every single day, they had to make a choice. You know, when Peter denied Christ outside the courthouse or whatever, um, he made a choice. You know, he didn't make his it wasn't his finest hour. We all know that. But we also know, as, as Pastor has been talking about in Acts, that, you know, he got it. You know, he got that power of the Holy Spirit. So now he, he had the Holy Spirit inside of him. He can make those choices. And we have the Holy Spirit inside of us who's going to help us to do that. So, so that's taking up his cross. And then the following, the follow me. So I thought this was interesting. So here's a little quiz. The word for follow me is used 77 times in the New Testament with just one, and with one exception, it's used for following Jesus physically or his teachings. So the quiz is, what's the one time it didn't refer to following Jesus? Any guesses? <clears throat> So this was, um, the, the exception was when Jesus had told 
the disciples to find a place for the Passover and Holy Week. And he said, you're going to find um, a person with a colt or whatever. Go follow him uh, to the place. So that was the exception. I thought that was interesting. Uh, Mark 14, 13 is the reference for that. I thought a little Bible trivia there. Take up his cross and follow me. Um, we kind of know what that is. I mean, that's why we're here, right? That's why we read our Bibles. That's why we open ourselves up to hear from God when, when uh, we hear Pastor Bobby preach. Um, we're wanting to learn about Jesus. We're wanting to align ourselves with him. We're wanting to follow him. Um, at some point along our way, we... We made that decision to be Christians, to be Christ followers. Um, do we get it perfect all the time? No. Do we get it perfect ever? No. But um, we're following in whatever stumbling Peter-esque uh, way that we do. Um, that's, that's what we're doing. Verse 26. Um, the lead up, of course, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So this was this was interesting uh, passage to me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man who gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? This saving his life or losing his life, um, they say it's best translated, this concept. Have you ever heard where one a person has said to lose oneself? Um, where you get so immersed into whatever you're doing, whether it's, an occupation or I guess on a simplistic way you could lose yourself in a in a novel or a video game or something but when you really lose yourself to some big calling uh, as as this is talking about it says that's when you find it so losing yourself in Jesus is when you find yourself in Jesus. Um, there are still days I wonder what I'm going to be like when I grow up. Uh, because it just, you know, you, you just, I don't know, that's, I just, that pops in my head sometimes, you know, and, and then you look over your shoulder and you realize it's been a while uh, that you've kind of been doing and this is probably it. Uh, uh, this is, this is what you're going to do. Uh, but, um, this this losing yourself and and but yet finding yourself, one um, one writer said that uh, there are no half measures on this journey. It's going to be like learning to swim. If you keep your foot on the bottom of the pool, you'll never work out how to do it. You have to lose your life to find it. What's the use of keeping your feet on the bottom when the water gets too deep? You have the choice: either swim or drown. 
apparent safety, which is walking on the bottom, isn't an option any longer, right? At some point, you're walking uh, and the water gets deep and you got to commit, right? You got to commit because you need to get horizontal and that's not going to happen if you're walking. Um, I thought that was a pretty good analogy. You have to lose yourself uh, into this. And let's be honest, it's hard to just dabble as a follower of Christ. It's, it's pretty uncomfortable. You're going to feel guilty, right? Because, you, you know, um, you're going you're gonna to flounder. Um, I think this might be the corollary to way back, was it Matthew 6? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. You know, as we, as we focus on this losing your life in Jesus, as we focus on the following me part, the payback is we start to get a sense of why we're here. We start to get a sense of how we fit in God's plan. We start to understand that, you know, when I'm doing something pretty menial, whether it's, you know, visiting someone in the um, nursing home, um, if that ever becomes an option anymore, or carrying a meal to someone down the street, or, um, you know, whatever the menial task is, you start to realize that takes on takes on extra significance because you're just doing you're just doing what you're supposed to be doing you're just part of God's big plan you're part of bringing the kingdom to earth you're part of being Jesus hands and feet so you know you start to to realize why you're here For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Verse 26. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Um, we know in our heads that all of the stuff that we're doing now is kind of the preseason. Right. I don't know if there's going to be football this fall. It certainly won't be like what we think it is. But with professional football, you get the preseason. Right? And it is interesting. Who's going to play? How's it going to work? Blah, blah, blah. But everybody knows the real season starts after that. All of our years, as many years as we get, nothing compared to afterwards. Uh, those of you that remember the uh, gospel singer Keith Green, for a while he put out a lot of tracks, which some of them were, were pretty uh, provocative, but uh, one of the title one track was, Will You Be Bored in Heaven? And the point is, there's going to be a lot of worshiping and singing in heaven, so you know, his point was, you probably should start liking worshiping and singing because otherwise you're going to be bored in heaven. Uh, that's probably wasn't the full impact of what he was trying to say, but but the point is that we're we're just here for a short time, and 
everything we do from a big picture perspective should be about helping as many people make it to that next level as possible, right? All of our investments. And is it wrong to put your money in entertainment or to, you know, upgrade your car or whatever? Well, no, that's, that's fine. But if you forget why you're here, then you're at risk for the people that, and obviously the non-Christian I think is, is who is in view here, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And the news is full of people who've been amazingly rich and amazingly depraved. And, um, uh, yeah. So, I think we all know that our, our best investments are those that will carry over to the main part of our life. And now we move straight into this future zone, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. All right, so how do you feel about that one? Scary. <laughs> <laughs> A little scary? Uh, yeah, you know, um, when I, I, I came across that verse, um, and uh, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I know it says that, but does that really mean what it sounds like? And then my faithful commentary listed like eight verses <laughs> that pretty much say that um, as one commentator says Christ was seeking to motivate his followers to work hard and invest their lives for eternity scripture makes it very clear that there are differing degrees of reward for believers based on their stewardship of life opportunities um, you know I mean It is what it is. Um, I think he's trying to let them know that, and he had he had already heard the disciples talking, right? Who's going to be the greatest? All that sort of thing. Um, and he knew they just didn't get it. And I think what he's telling them here is that the work that you're doing, the investment that you're making the denial of self that you're doing, the delayed gratification, all those things, God's going to reward you for that. This is not wasted effort. You know, you serving a king who's paying attention and he's going to reward you for what you're doing. Um, son of man, verse 27, Son of man is going to come with his angels and the glory of the Father, repay each person according to what he has done. Verse 28 Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I had to write myself another little note. Okay, so which is it? Uh, what is this not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom? To what is that referring? And there are really two 
choices based on the time frame because if you take it what it says some of the people who were there were still going to be alive when the son of man comes into his kingdom some people think it refers to this very next event that picks up in verse 1 of chapter 17 and that's what we call the transfiguration where they do a few of them get to see Jesus in his glorified state but I think most people probably refer to when does the Son of Man really come into his kingdom and that's at the resurrection. That's when the New Testament, the New Covenant, that's really when that starts. You know, it's, um, I guess, if you want to be picky, it could be that last Lord's Supper before the crucifixion, but it really, that was kind of a, a preview the, the new rules, the New Testament, the new covenant really starts at the resurrection. And that's probably what that's referring to. Um, you could take this in a lot of different a, uh, a lot of different ways. If you really meditate on this passage during the week, as, as I hope you will. But um, this this first verse that we spent so much time on, deny yourself, take up his cross, and follow me. Uh, I couldn't help but think of, you know, when we take our dog for a walk. When we get out the leash and get out the harness that we put our, what, 11-month-old golden retriever, um, she's excited. She's excited. Has no idea where we're going. No, she's going to be tied up. The very fact that she's in the stupid harness is because she's going to pull in ways that we don't want her to pull. <laughs> but she's excited. She's wanting to go. And, and she knows it's going to be good. It's going to be fine. You know, if we had the eagerness to be in that harness whatever our circumstances however our circumstances harness us and however God leads us if we had that type of enthusiasm then I think we might have a little different thought about what self-denial and following him would be right because there's that trust we know he's going to take us he's going to take care of us um that harness can direct me, but it can also secure me. Uh, you know, I think that's the enthusiasm that we all need to be looking for. Um, this cross, it does imply some suffering. Um, it's okay to, the, the concept of lament is when we tell God how we're hurting, when we know good and well that he knows that we're hurting. Um, so there is suffering. It's okay to acknowledge that. Uh, it's okay to ask God. In fact, we should ask God to intervene with that, and, and he may as he, as he wills. Um, but it's not complaining when you do that. I tell people all the time that they'll come into the office and they'll be giving their list of things that are going on with them and then they'll kind of say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm complaining so much. I'm like, you're not complaining, you're just reporting. All right? 
So when we cry out to God about what our circumstances are, it's not that we're necessarily complaining. Um, we're just reporting and saying, God, it's hard right now. And, you know, this taking up my cross thing didn't work out so well today, but, you know, um, help me through this. Help me uh, continue to draw from you. I think we all want to see the kingdom come. Uh, some days more than others. Uh, lately, it's been kind of crazy. Uh, all right, we'll wrap up there for the week. Um, any comments as we wrap up? Thanks for your uh, thanks for your participation, Father. We do thank you for your word. We thank you for these words that are a little bit tough at first. Um, but help us to realize that denying ourselves is giving up something that's not so good for something that's amazingly good. Help us to understand that following you and not going our own way is, is choosing for a better path, even though it might not be the one that we would naturally go to. Father, help us to understand that the things we're doing, small and hidden perhaps as they are that you know and you notice and 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 by doing them we are doing our our part to be part of your kingdom not just now but in the future we thank you for your son through whom we can be part of your family and we thank you for the holy spirit through whom we can um, grow and, and behave and become the people that you want us to become. Uh, be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.